This is Bragg, the son of Balan, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. are lit. Lotro calls for aid. And Brog shall answer. It's Amandine, see what I mean? Here in the foothills of the White Mountains of Ered Nimras, tomfoolery is once again kindled, and the return of the king is at hand. Well, maybe not a king, but a prince of Moria, or at least the return of the primary beacon lighter. Welcome back to Light the Beacons, the only Lotro podcast that dares to ask... My goodness, that is some intriguing filth. This is episode number 81, and I am ready for fun. As your host, Bragg of the Lonely Mountain, the Sultan of Shieldswipe, the Earl of Agro, Surveyor of Oars, and Dwarf of Ill Repute, broadcasting live from temporary LTB MEWHQ, far from Thelian, coming to you live from the top of Raven Hill in Erebor. Let's take a look around. So sure a good number of you have made it here but not everybody not everyone's playing at endgame some people going at their own pace enjoying the ride so i am sitting on a hilltop and uh looking west in the distance i can see the bell tower of dale towering over the plain there's a smattering of uh, coniferous trees across the meadow um there's kind of a rocky trail leading up the hill with escarpments on either side i can see some red flags planted sticking on top of sticks it is a starry gray night um i have to say the sky here looks different than it does elsewhere in the game at night that i have seen uh some clouds moving across my view stars are pretty and as i look behind me the golden edifice of raven hill rises up on top of the hill uh the front is kind of a triangular shape with decorated with uh, kind of diamond columns and uh, there's two very uh, hot and burning lit braziers flanking the entrance as I walk in past uh, the typical dwarven statues one holding a shield one holding a sword uh, there are some uh, columns sticking up that look uh, sort of like uh, Egyptian um, just uh, you know what do you call them I don't know that's uh, the Egyptian statue things. And then to the sides, you can see there are little uh, ledges that are supported uh, with uh, rows of rows of crows. Rows and rows of crows. No, they're ravens. It's different. Don't confuse a raven with a crow. You will PO them both off. And uh, at the end of the chamber, there's a doorway to an internal room, which is not available to me at this time. And sitting there staring at me... Uh, very peacefully with a lot of equanimity is the female dwarf Dis and she is dressed in a I'd say kind of royalish blue gray waistcoat with uh, boots with golden trim 
she's got a headpiece on that is ornamented with uh, raven feathers. Uh, her cape has a typical dwarven mountain of Erebor with a, a central figure of a raven with folded wing sitting above the crest of her family, I believe. And um, her beard is, or her hair is wrapped around her neck with a big uh, coil and uh, with one end sticking down and it's festooned with uh, golden jewelry as well as epaulets on her shoulders. And she's looking quite regal indeed as Master of the Ravens. Um, this is a cool place in the game because I was really hoping they wouldn't forget the Ravens are so important to the storyline. And of course, knowing them, knowing SSG, they're good at this kind of thing. They have not forgotten. Um, and they gave Dis, the only female dwarf ever mentioned by Tolkien in the game, uh, kind of an interesting purpose to try to uh, renew the relationship with the Ravens and see if they could uh, perhaps be reawakened at some point to serve better serve the king under the mountain uh, since apparently since the time of Thorin they have fallen off into kind of ordinariness versus the language that they used to be able to share with the dwarves in the times of yore perhaps that's something that can be restored along with the skill of the dwarves in crafting uh, no spoiler alert on that storyline though we've got a lot of fixing up to do based on what happened in the last episode Grima, I think you know what I'm talking about. Keep scrubbing those Moria toilets with that toothbrush. I am watching you, mister. Uh, so we got a few things to talk about. We might as well move on to our next beacon. We are at the beacon of Ilinok. And as usual, we first got to deal with a lot of CRAP, corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week, Grima. So last time out, we, or should I say, one of us, offended uh, everyone with Grima at the controls, but especially Disney princesses. Um, also, we completely missed the boat on the uh, March 21st surprise that uh, was announced by SSG. Um, it ended up being a dwarf lore-related scavenger hunt. And right before the 11th year of the anniversary-related scavenger hunt, uh, but more on this later. So to everyone else that was offended uh, by Grima's little hijinks, we offer a solemn and very heartfelt, Grima, say it, say it, me. Um, Let's interpret that uh, as sorry. Um, I'm sure that's what it would amount to if uh, his mic wasn't so... I turned his mic down. Really, he, he, he is sorry. He apologized to me. In between beatings, he apologized to me. So um, I'm sure that translates. And uh, viewer comments, let's agree to disagree. First, let's check the leaderboard. And we do not have any new high scores. The last review of the podcast was left by F. Duddy, a.k.a. Fielder, on October 9th of 2017. Yes, that's, I don't know, what, nine months and counting? Something like that. Not quite that bad, but uh, getting there. And he currently has our high scores. Always, if you want to join this illustrious cadre of reviewers, then I might ask, what is stopping you? Please go out to iTunes and give me your feedback. Gimme, 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 gimme. Um, viewer feedback. So, uh, agree to disagree on that uh, topic. You know, they may be viewers, okay? Look, you don't know. You're not here recording, so back off. 
Uh, Bragginthorn wrote in to say thank you to Bragg and Grima for keeping the Bickens lit or doused as the case may be. I needed to go back to Mortar to finish content. Talith Uri had me a bit mixed up, but I have gotten past my blocks there. Yes, I would say in all of Mordor, that is the blockiest place. Thanks for suggestions in the last podcast. Happy hunting, Bragg. And also heard from a few other folks um, that uh, wrote into the show to clarify some things. Uh, first of all, Tommy York pointed out that purchasing the new zone does not give you access to the Black Book slash Epic Story. Uh, to pick up the story post-Mordor would have been nice. So technically, you need to purchase two points, two zones to get any trade points or rewards from the new zone, which is a real bummer. I agree. Uh, in retrospect, you know, Turbine always had the policy that the epic story was free, but now that we have moved beyond it, uh, it appears that all bets are off for the Black Book of Mordor, which is kind of a shame. Um, the reward for the new scavenger hunt, Tommy Ark thought was uh, subpar. It's a new skin for an old goat. It may appeal to goat collectors, but I have a few already, and another goat skin is not a reward. Uh, and very weary of housing items being considered as rewards. So it is very common for them to hand out cosmetics, housing items, and mounts as rewards in-game. Um, there are a lot of people that would rather get something that gave them an actual game advantage, and I understand where they're coming from, but I also think there are a lot of people that enjoy uh, cosmetics, housing items, and mounts as well. So uh, what would be nice, perhaps, is if they alternated or perhaps provided some variety so that everybody could be pleased some of the time instead of uh, some of the people being pleased all of the time <laughs> how'd you think about that um and tommy also pointed out that uh if you don't have mordor gear you might have problems on the landscape but there's still a lot of questing to be done in within some of the structures like felagoth and uh and dale and lake town and thorns hall that require little to no combat. So you could actually get away with being undergeared and uh, finish some of the quests up in the new part of the game if you don't venture out on the landscape and stick to some of those um, stick to some of those areas. So perhaps still a leveling option for you uh, to come into the northern strongholds and stick to the uh, to the urban areas, as one might put it. And. And then lastly, Tommy Ork mentioned he made it through about a half dozen quests in the new elf area when an NPC gave him a quest to go mop, mop, mop up uh, X number of messes that his character was not responsible for. And, uh, you know, that provoked a strong reaction. I won't go into detail, uh, but he was very disappointed in it. And, uh, you know, a character that's achieved what we have in an RPG has been reduced to maid duty, giving everything he's accomplished. Um, you know, the strong point of Lotro has always been the story, and that is not a good story. So, um, I get that. Uh, I understand where he's coming from. Um, I have a slightly different perspective. It's not for everybody, so I'll caution from that. But I will say that, uh, you know, first of all, uh, I'm a guardian. <laughs> so I have the slowest DPS in game. So when I can finish a quest by not killing ten things but instead like picking up 10 things or finding 10 things or even mopping up 10 things it's faster than going out and killing 10 things okay <laughs> at least on my main 
you know, I see all you champs and hunters out there zinging one arrow, zip, zip, done, one arrow, zip, zip, done. I'm sure you like the killing quests and all the warfare and attacks and so forth. But, uh, you know, the other kinds of quests are just as quick and easy for me as a guard than they are as they are for anybody else. Uh, so I don't mind uh, the mixing it up, and it occasionally helps me be a bit speedier or at least on par with others in the game. Um, the other thing I'd say is, I think there is a reflection by, uh, you know, perhaps it's lazy. I'll give you some of that. I also think there's a small part of it that uh, would appeal to J.R. Tolkien himself. I'm going to speak for J.R. Tolkien. Um, we know that his, uh, from some of his comments, that one of his perceptions of heroes in the game, uh, one of the biggest heroes in the game to him was Sam. Sam the Gardener. Um, you know, who showed all the qualities that elevated him above others. Uh, you know, and, and certainly he's made quotes uh, before in the book saying things like uh, Thorne's final words, that uh, if people, you know, uh, valued good cheer and food above gold and glory, then, you know, it would be a merrier world. Um, so I think there is a part of Tolkien that was always uh, looking for people that, um, you know, like Gandalf says, perhaps do the little things in life that, that stave off uh, the evil, the evils of Sauron, right? Not everyone can be uh, on the front lines in Osgiliath battling the wards. There have to be some people that are doing small acts of kindness. So I, I think they're trying to reflect, I believe, they believe that Tolkien would have admired people that, despite all their glory and being one of the great warriors of the time and of you know, being one of the main players apart from the fellowship, obviously, uh, a mover and shaker in the industry uh, for the third age would um, have the hum the humility uh, to go out and do things for others as menial as cleaning or mopping up and doing other tasks. I don't know. I, I like to think that's the case. You know, I may be just, uh, you know, trying to bail out SSG on uh, on the fact that uh, you know they have us pick up nails occasionally or do this or do that or clean up messes you know if it's at a festival no big deal part of the epic quest line yeah I, I could see that uh, wearing thin so I think they need to be careful about not overdoing it but I also think there is an element it to it of uh, you know having humility and doing small acts of kindness that I think they value or they'd like to see others value as they play the game uh, certainly you can elect not to do that quest I'm pretty sure it wasn't part of a longer quest line that would have required you to finish that one so hopefully you can skip those and still get to the rest of the storyline and or finish deeds for quests in the area if they have a couple extra that uh, typically you know they have a couple extra so you don't need to do every single one in order to get that done so just a couple thoughts on that uh, enjoy Tommy Ark enjoy your comments as always uh, appreciate you writing in uh, from Twitter, I want to give a shout out to an apparently longtime viewer who sent me a telling game this past week. That's not normal for me. It happens every so once and often when Bragg deigns to talk in world chat. Um, so I wanted to say hello to Palador. Thanks for saying hi and welcome to the Last Alliance of Vilia. Uh, community Spotlight. Um, there were some highlights from. This is a couple weeks ago now, so old news, but highlights from the Court of the Rings interview with the devs. I think it was Dr. Octothorpe and one other um, that seemed to indicate that uh, their small change of plans were not returning to Minas Morgul right away. 
So we won't be looking at that towards the end of the year. There were a number of things they said, but that was the biggest one that stuck with me. Um, I believe there's more stuff to do in the north for now. So that means a Shelob raid may or may not happen in 2018. How long can they string us along on the Shelob raid? Um, I also mentioned them, uh, remember them mentioning that the 64-bit client is not dead, but it's kind of on hold or delayed a bit. So they're making progress on it as they can. It certainly seems to be not a top priority, um, which makes me a bit sad because I do think that has got uh, a lot of potential to help with some things uh, with some people's problems with lag in the game. So I'm hoping they continue to push forward on that. And they also promised some new anniversary content. I I'm not sure if they're just talking about the 11th year quests hanging from the party tree or if there's some other things that might be coming. Um, I didn't see anything new that was out, uh, but maybe I need to go read uh, Fibro Jedi's anniversary festival guide to make sure. And uh, so I think... You know, the implication is that we've got things to do in the north, and certainly the lay of rhyme and rust and some of the other storylines around Erebor are incomplete and certainly could use some fleshing out. So, based on the fact that there seems to be an emphasis on Drakeling and dragons in some of the storylines I've been detecting, I think we might be headed for the Withered Heath, where when, from whence the dragons came or maybe even uh, possibly looking at Gundabad and the Withered Heath. And that would be pretty neat, especially if they made Gundabad uh, a full internal area you know, of major proportions. So I would welcome that. That is my speculation at this point. What do you guys think? Um, speaking of Cordovan, whatever did I do to get banned from the Lotro Beacons that he publishes? First of all, he calls it a Lotro Beacon and steals my Light the Beacons trademark you know, patent pending, copyright, infringement, all that other legal stuff and so forth. And then, uh, he used to include me in his mentions, and I don't think any of my last four or five episodes have made the cut, apparently. So, thanks a lot, Cordovan. I don't know what I did to offend you, but probably everything. Uh, whatever it is, I, can tend to, I intend to go right on doing it, so there'll be no change. But, uh, hey, if you're not pissed off and you're just overlooking me, can I get in the beacon, maybe, sometime in the next month or two? Huh? All right, let's go to the forums. Uh, insert angry mob sound effect here. So uh, one of the interesting threads I was reading over the last couple weeks was um, I was doing, I heard someone mention in-game uh, a deed or title for Barrel Rider. And uh, I don't remember, I finished all the quests that I found in Felagoth and didn't find one for that. So I actually went back down into the cellars and uh, went down to the area where the wine barrels were loaded down into the river from the Hobbit. And actually, the first time through there, I missed clicking on that barrel. So there's a barrel down there that you may overlook. Uh, it's a little bit glowy, but not much. And if you click on it, uh, it will transport you all the way across the zone to Lake uh, to the eastern shores of Lake Town. So that's kind of useful maybe in some circumstances. I'm not sure when I would use that, but it's good to know it's there. Um, so first of all, there's that. <laughs> uh, second of all, so maybe a quicker way to get to Lake Town if you don't have the port. And secondly, there was a forum thread around uh, requests for them to create an actual barrel ride in-game. So I think a lot of people were hoping we'd be able to drop down the trap and actually ride a barrel down the river into Lake Town. 
and uh, you know there were a bunch of people suggesting you know maybe you could use a the stable mechanic so it's almost like a horse right but just with a new skin that looks like a barrel the problem was uh, I think one of the devs chimed in and said none of the stable rides have ever done been done above water which actually might complicate things depending on how it was implemented um, the other idea was to make it almost a mini instance like was done for the water slide in the Inn of the Forsaken. And so you would enter it upon clicking on the barrel and as you reached it you'd go through you know, a, a typical portal that would put you by the lakeside. Um, so I think it was Made of Lions that chimed in and agreed it was a good idea. Uh, without any commitment to doing it aside from saying, like most user ideas, it's unfortunately more work than people assume. That's what I think of that. Um, so, I get that. You know, some people think it would be easy. And if they're not leveraging existing mechanics, Grima, edit that out. Edit it out. How many times do I get to tell the guy? So, um, I have some optimism just based on the fact that MetaLine's engaged directly on it. And as things like this have found a way to make it into the game of late you know things that everyone agrees kind of make sense from a lore perspective and people had expectations for um so sometimes they make it into the game and sometimes like a title for jumping into mount doom as a chicken which we still don't have they don't so we'll have to wait and see on that i think it would be fun if they could figure out a way to jam it in there although it's a little late I also came across a discussion regarding whether there should be female dwarf characters available in the game or not. This is an old topic that there have been many threads on in the past that have been it's been reinvigorated by the appearance of Dis, uh, the only female dwarf character ever mentioned by Tolkien in his books, which is kind of why I'm standing here staring at her right now. And I have to say, she looks pretty snappy. So there's a bunch of arguments against it. You know, obviously all the usual rigmarole and heat coming from the forms but um there are a couple quotes from the book which seem to indicate that the differences between male and female dwarves are barely discernible so why not make them gender neutral and also that they rarely venture you know the females rarely venture out for whatever reason so it doesn't really make sense for them to go adventuring like other characters would um also you know what makes uh you know unisex dwarves different from other games uh, you know, is there are RPGs like D and D that make you know that make Lotro unique? So, uh, you know, other games that have ma male and female dwarves, you know, are kind of the standard generic version. Whereas at least Lotro has some uniqueness that stems from the lore. So, why over genericize if you don't have to? And then there's a lot of arguments for saying, you know, there are other races in the games like High Elves and Bjorning that are just as scarce as female dwarves. You know. The dawn of the fourth age is a good excuse for them to emerge from hiding. We know they exist, so why not? Why draw the line here versus females from other races becoming heroes? Um, personally, I've never felt a huge motivation to roll a female dwarf, so it never really occurred to me. But I would probably would if they created the option, just for full alt coverage, of course. And generally, I would not normally advocate a change. However, if there are others in the game that really want it, I would not be that set against it um, and the reason that I would lean in that direction is because at the end of the day revenue is revenue and uh, 
people going back and starting new characters as female dwarves means more revenue for the game. It means more activity in the game, more things to do in the game, and, you know, heck, you can make it a purchasable option. So revenue is revenue, and that's what it comes down to at the end of the day if we all want to keep playing Lotro. So, um, you know, I think the hardcore lore liners might have to, uh, you know, admit that there's no hard arguments against it. There's lots of arguments, but no hard arguments to say this is really lore-breaking to make this happen. And if it all keeps Middle-Earth around us uh, for a little bit longer, uh, why not? So, in this week's action-packed episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in game these past few weeks. We're going to talk about the recent Secret Stone event that came out on March 21st, uh, almost a month ago, over a month ago now. We're gonna, yeah, we're, we're cutting edge news on on the on the bleeding edge. Uh, we're going to talk in one of our last beacons. We're going to talk about one of the most important things ever to happen in the history of the game, as far as you know. And lastly, if we have any time remaining, we will end the podcast prematurely. So, with that, if we want to have time, we better get moving. Let's move on to our third beacon. Of Nardal. This week in gaming and/or other Tolkien news. Let me see. What else have I been playing? With the summer calendar revving up in April, time has been at a premium, so not a heck of a lot. Did get a few more things done in Shadow of Mordor. I had three out of five war chiefs branded down in the Nern area, and then one of them got killed, and I got moved back to two out of five. I was like, really? Didn't know that was something that could happen. So, um, aside from that, oh, another games have I been playing? It has to be something. Probably not. Let's talk about movies. Uh, first of all, I did get out to see Ready Player One uh, over the last week, finally. I was about three weeks out when I finally got around to it. Just been so busy with other activities and vacations and so forth. And, um, uh, I enjoyed it and I was disappointed at the same time. How's that possible? Well, first of all, it's a fun movie. There's a lot going on visually, obviously. There's a lot of Easter eggs, obviously. If you're a fan of the book, it's fun to see some of the key elements of the book come to light in the movie. Um, you know, it's fairly taut. There are fun characters. It's, you know, it's a kind of a little rollicking action ride with lots of, uh, lots of eye candy, right? So that's all good. And some of the key elements of the story are there from the book. Uh, you know, some of the visual elements like the stacks, I think, were well done. And uh, even some of the key elements of the Oasis. However, um, they changed a lot of key details in the movie from the book. And the things they took out of the movie are some of my favorite things from the book. Okay? So first of all, you know, you've probably... If you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, I'm going to reveal some small details. But... Uh, finding the first key, they make uh, basically a giant car race, almost like a match we matchbox car race with all kinds of fun vehicles and dinosaurs and King Kong making trouble. And uh, in the original book, the finding of the first key is based on finding the location and uh, of the original Tomb of Horrors S1 module from Dungeons and Dragons, one of the all-time legendary modules in Dungeons and Dragons, and figuring out like all the traps and and uh, that are in there. It's the trappiest module of all time. Uh, lots of cool visuals that could have been done in the game with. You know, slanting passages and spike pits and all kinds of fun stuff they could have done down in there. And a demi-lich to boot at the end. 
and uh, instead they chose to do the Matchbox car race. And uh, gosh, that was disappointing because I Tomb of Horrors. You know, I never even played it. Just as a dungeon master, just reading it was really fun. <laughs> never had characters that I played with that were high enough level to go into it. Uh, and probably would have never survived it in any way. But just reading about it was so cool that it was really fun. So that was disappointing. Then, uh, the greatest rock band of all time, Rush, played a key part in the finding of either the second or the third key when uh, the lead protagonist has to go to the planet that houses uh, the lore of 2112, the album. And uh, gosh, I was looking forward to that. And of course, they axed that as well. And then I think the finding of the third key had to do with uh, acting out uh, all the lines and actions in a certain movie. Uh, it's been a while since I read it, but I thought it was maybe Ferris Bueller uh, or one of the you know John uh, Hughes movies. And uh, uh, instead, they inserted um, kind of a fun segment, I have to admit, uh, in Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. So an homage to Stephen King and uh, scenes from Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. And, and those were pretty funny. They had some good jokes in the movie that landed. There was some humor there. There was some action. But, you know, geez, changing some of those key plot elements really rubbed me the wrong way, I have to say. And uh, it was kind of fun to tell my kids, though, that I originally um, had a friend who had an Atari, and we both know how to knew how to do the trick to find the secret room with uh, the Easter egg, the first Easter egg of the developers writing their name. So they were like, you knew how to do that? I was like, yep, you used to do it all the time. <laughs> So anyway, um, that's Ready Player One. It was good. I think it could have been better. Uh, the other movie that's out that I really want to see is A Quiet Place. And geez, Avengers is coming up at Han Solo right around the corner. I wasn't that excited for the Avengers. And I started to listen to some podcasts and read some, some blogs about people talking about what might be coming up. And I got really excited this week. So uh, get pumped for the Avengers, all you folks out there. Um, this year's summer slate appears to be even more packed than usual from, uh, from a movie perspective. Let's turn to books. Uh, I actually finished a book. Woo! The Anubis Gates by Tim Powers. So this was a book. I read a list of like, you know, all time fantasy novels from a website that I was at. And I think they listed like, you know, 10 recommendations and I had read eight of them. Um, and I all agreed that they were good books. So I went out and bought the other two. The Anubis Gates by Tim Powers was one of them. It's a Philip K. Dick Award winner from 1983. Overall, it was good, and I'm glad I read it. But, uh, you know, it didn't hold my attention sharply enough that I plowed through it. I did it in spurts, kind of over several months, which is not recommended. And here's why. <laughs> so um, there are some confusing plot points in the book, The Anubis Gates. There are characters traveling incognito utilizing pseudonyms and or impersonating famous figures. So acting as other people are using, you know, code names. Uh, there is time travel. So characters, there are characters looping through the story that like go back in time and then live back to the current place or, you know, end up meeting themselves in some cases, you know, again with name changes and with, you know, whatever. Then there's magical creation of these doppelgangers they call Kaz that become persistent characters. So they may take a protagonist and like, you know, take a lock of his hair and grow uh, like a golem or doppelganger of him who looks just like him and starts to appear in the story in random places and you don't know which guy is which, right? So they've got impersonators, time travel, characters 
traveling with pseudonyms. And then one of the key characters in the book is an antagonist that is able to switch bodies with other people whenever he needs to upgrade his host or escape danger so he can trade his psyche in for others. So <laughs> every time you see him, he's in a different person's body, okay? <laughs> Talk about a recipe for confusion and chaos. After a while, it was really hard for me to keep the character straight and figure out what was going on. Um, but it, it did have some interesting ideas and some, uh, you know, some nice visualizations around uh, the plot. That you know, I went back and I, I actually read the wiki of it after the fact, just to make sure I had all the facts straight and see how they fit together because there were one or two things I missed. Uh, but it was pretty decent overall. I'm not, I don't know if there was a sequel to it, but I'm probably not going to go back and read it. So uh, I'm onwards to my next book project for the summer. Um, Stephen King's JFK time travel novel, November 22nd, 1963. Um, looks like a great summer novel and a uh, big thick one, of course, <laughs> as Stephen King is wont to do. And I'm 99% certain I'm really going to like it. Um, I have some, uh, you know, interest in that area. I've read some 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 conspiracy novels around the JFK murder that I found, you know, interesting slash compelling. I'm not going to say I'm a conspiracy theorist, but I think there's a lot of interesting details from that era. Certainly, it's such an important event in American history, and um, I trust Stephen King to do some interesting things with it. So we'll see how quickly I can plow through that i don't know eight or nine hundred hundred page novel of course and then uh the other big date from a book perspective coming out and from a token perspective coming out is august 30th brah august 30th okay so there was i think it was either march 31st or april 2nd an announcement coming out that the fall of gondolin edited by christopher tokian was going to be published uh, by the tokian estate and um, everybody thought it was an April Fool's joke, including me. <laughs> but uh, we found out later it is actually not an April Fool's joke. If, if there's one story in the canon of uh, Tokian that I would want told in more detail, it is this one. Um, so it is for pre-sale on Amazon already. If you want to shell out $25 for the hardcover, ouch. Um, now the amusing thing... <laughs> Is that when I searched for the book on Amazon, I found nine, count them, nine MP3s available by, by this title, The Fall of Gondolin. Nine MP3s that were available on Amazon with the title, The Fall of Gondolin. <laughs> In, including one by a group called Debauchery off of their signature album, Kill, Maim, and Burn. <laughs> Um, so this this album Kill Maim and Berm also also incidentally contains the classic tunes Hellspawn, Butchered Zombies, and Chainsaw Masturbation. Just the live version though, just the live version of Chainsaw Masturbation, not the original recording. If that's what you're looking for, okay. So it's proving once again that Tokian fans come in all shapes, sizes, and psychiatric diagnoses. And maybe if you stick around at the end of the podcast, I'll play you a little snippet. That's a tease. How about it? All right. What have we been doing from a low-trip perspective, please? Can we move on to that? Uh, I, okay. So I'm in the right place to talk about this topic. Um, I noticed but forgot to mention a few weeks ago, uh, The Bear and the Bunny Return atop Raven Hill. Um, the, bill is, the bunny in the forums is sometimes known as the Bear Ganker. 
since it kind of looked like he's conquered the bear and is sitting on his skin to enjoy the view. Um, I happened to approach from the direction initially, Raven Hill, uh, while searching for dwarf markers, I actually came upon this even before I'd gone inside Raven Hill and, and found Dis. So uh, I, I kind of found it right away approaching from the north. Um, so it was, wasn't a big surprise for me. Um, so as some of you may know, uh, there is a certain uh, kind of Easter egg in the game that the developers have planted in various locations around Middle Earth of the bunny sitting on top of the bearskin rug and he usually has a very nice view somewhere. Uh, they're also found in Wildemore, uh, Fangorn, the Eaves of Fangorn, um, Rohan, you know, Rohan area for the Eaves of Fangorn, as well as I think uh, multiple locations in the Great River region. Um, so that's kind of cool that they're continuing that. It seems like kind of an inside joke. Hopefully, I don't know if it's ever been, I've never seen it, if the, if the devs ever commented on why the bunny and the bear. Uh, but uh, they are keeping with it for some strange reason. So they are in the new new, new zone. They're almost like Floyd and DeWitt at this point. Um, maybe there's a hidden deed once you collect them all. We'll see. Uh, so secondly, remember how I was so excited about the Broken Cloak clasp I won, uh, I don't know, a month or two ago on, on uh, one of my tunes on Bragg? Well, I repaired it using my jeweler, which was the next step. And I went to create my cloak of many colors, and I found out that I seemed to have misplaced my dragon cloak. <laughs> Ouch. So I have a dragon cloak. I know I have it. I know I made it. I had three dragon scales. I made it. I wore it. And I can't find it. <laughs> I don't know what happened to it. I've used my you know inventory plugin to look through all my accounts, uh, shared storage, everything. Um, could not find it, so... <laughs> Back to the drawing board. <laughs> Once again, starting over. Uh, looking for drag rock runs. So it's either that or I don't know. <laughs> so that was a little disappointing. <laughs> Maybe I'll find them at some point. Uh, I need to dig around some more. Sometimes the sometimes the uh, inventory plugin gets out of sync with some of your objects in game. So who knows? Maybe I'll come across it. But if not, Bragg is looking for Dragog scales. <laughs> Or maybe to sell my broken cloak class, but probably make a pretty bit of coin for that, I imagine. So Bragg has completed the Northern Kingdom deeds and uh, has been doing the dailies. Um, so I finished the deed to find all the locations in the Hobbit. I finished the deed to find the treasure caches. I finished the deed to find the dwarf markers, which was kind of a pain in the butt. Uh, especially all the one in the northwest of the game uh, in the Torogram area. And uh, I ticked off all the Slayer Deeds, which had kind of more reasonable numbers that I've seen from some areas in the past, which was nice. So I've been saving up Ash uh, while my rep builds. Um, I actually hit the Ash cap for the first time. So I was uh, had my mini burning through Mordor Keys doing dailies down there and Bragg doing dailies in the, great, in, uh, in the new area. And actually, at one point built up, I had 10,000 ash, and I went to get some more, and some of it was capped off. So I'm like, ooh, i got to spend some of this. So, um, uh, you know, as you gain kindred rep in the new areas of the game, you get access to some of the better recipes for gear that are slight upgrades from the Mordor area. And uh, so I've been saving up ash to spend on those. 
Um, but you don't have to get multiple characters through all through all the end game to open that up. If you have one, you can buy um, or you can uh, vendor for uh, gear for other tunes on your account. And each of the major areas, the elves, uh, the men of Dale, and the dwarves of Erebor, um, have slightly their vendors have slightly different objects available, light, medium, and heavy, um, which become available as you reach kindred with each with each faction. So I spent some ash on upgraded Li re relics, which I found available at the Runes of Dingarth raid vendors. Um, so originally I bought Li relic upgrades in Udun from one of the vendors there that's kind of against the back wall, but um, I didn't look closely enough at the raid vendors, and I found out that there, they did have upgraded relics um, available at the Runes of Dingarth raid vendors. So I upgraded a few of those and some of my characters using ash. Um, the problem with Ash is that most of the upgrades before you are kindred in the north are tied to t tier 2 raid completion, which I have not done on any of my tunes as of yet. Um, I think it's becoming more common to find pugs willing to do tier 2 as uh, people top off their characters with gear in the, in the, news, in the news zone and so get a little hardier, but uh, I, haven't been, I haven't had the time to run it that often and I haven't been involved in a successful tier 2 raid that went to completion so still looking to do that sometime at some point and why you know why grind too many essences for Mordor when the northern kingdom ones will soon be available to me so um, so when I get kindred rep with all three factions which I'm very close to actually I expect I'll do it in the next day or two um, I can start generating some northern kingdom essences to put in some of the new gear at the same time as I replace or upgrade some of my gear and on a side note, I did want to mention to people that may have looked in the past, I, I think I knew this and I forgot it, but I just noticed that SS Reclamation Scrolls are now available in Skirm Camps. And I thought the last time I looked at this a few months ago they were not. Maybe I looked in the wrong area, but I went out to the, I was I needed some to do some gear upgrades and I went out uh, to the wiki to look at all the places they were available and listen to the Skirm Camp. So I went to the Skirm Camp, duh. Uh, check the curiosities vendor. Um, so those are not an issue anymore. I've got plenty of marks and medallions to buy all the essence reclamation scrolls I want now uh, when previously I was trying to scrape together some tokens or buying them off the auction house. Uh, so if you're looking for those, you can get them from the Skirm Camp curiosities vendor. Aside from that, Brad's been, Brad's been doing dailies. Um, you know, I kind of need that web page opened at all times that shows, depending on what day you are, where you can get the quests. Uh, up to eight per day. Uh, there's three different configurations of quests that cycle that they cycle through. And I think I might be. I think I'm up to speed on the lay of rhyme and rust, which um, thus far I'm happy with. Good story so far. Uh, I completed the scavenger hunt uh, surprise, the secret March 21st uh, activity. So more on that later. Um, I completed the last deed to do 100 dailies uh, in the Northern Kingdoms to get the red goat. It's pretty cool, but I'm actually starting to get a lot of goats, just like I got a lot of horses. So, um, so that's interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I got a red goat from finishing the Northern Strongholds area. And a blue goat from finishing off the March 21st scavenger hunt surprise, which I'll talk about a little later. As it turns out, the blue one actually matches perfectly the outfit which I had picked out to wear for Erebor, so isn't that convenient? 
being very dwarvish and all, of course. And um, they are cool goats. But, uh, you know, I like to ride the Winfell's goat, and I like some of the other specialty goats I've gotten over time. Um, yeah, so time for war pigs, right? No. So my mini has been doing Allegiance Dailies and related runs in Mordor. Uh, keys are keys, and getting a key in Mordor is actually easier than getting one in the Northern Strongholds. You can do four four quests daily to get a key. Well, to get two thirds of a key, but pretty close in Mordor, or do eight every that's um, in the Northern Strongholds that are only available every um, twice a week. So I think it's Wednesdays and Sundays they reset the deed to do the eight things to finish. So the more ones are quicker, and the, actually the quests are even a little easier in Mordor now uh, than they are in the Northern Kingdoms. Um, so my mini, I'm starting to consider whether it makes sense to try to finish the Mordor mana deed with my mini. Because um, she's getting pretty close in all the quest areas uh, through the dailies that she's running. But it would require me to go, find and, go through and find all the treasure caches again. In, every, in each of the five regions. Maybe not. <laughs> and uh, with, uh, gosh, with, what was it? With the completion of the 11 year, um, oh, when I got my 11 year anniversary gift box, it had a portrait frame, of course, the updated portrait frame for, I'm sorry, 10 year. Um, my 10th year in the game, so I got the updated gift box, which has the, uh, upgraded portrait frame for 10 years in the game, which is cool. It's got the two gold leaves on it instead of one gold and four silvers. Uh, and I also got the Mordor frame, which I thought was originally only available for uh, pre-orders for Mordor, which I for the highest level pack, which I hadn't done previously. Or maybe it's for people that finished the meta deed. I can't remember now. One way or the other. Anyway, I've got it, so I don't need it anymore. <laughs> uh, so that's pretty cool. Um... And the other thing that we got out of the 10th anniversary gift box is uh, the Dragon Fireworks. And that I'm really happy with, I gotta say. <laughs> the Dragon Firework is, I, I think, is the coolest one in the game. And, uh, you know, not everybody has it yet. Uh, certainly there's a lot of players that have been around 10 years, but not everybody has it yet. So it is fun to set off and watch it come back to you and freak people out. Um, so enjoying running that one quite a bit. Uh, what else? So, out of loot boxes in Mordor, I've been getting housing items, pets, armor, and essences. Um, actually, receiving, you know, maybe one out of three receiving in Northern Kingdoms gold essence, uh, which is worth um, a lot. <laughs> uh, and apparently, if you don't like, someone told me that if you don't like the gold Northern essence that you get in a loot box, you can trade it in for 2,500 ash. At, uh, at one of the Northern Stronghold vendors. And I gotta say, that's a lot of ash. So get out there and get that ash. Um, so getting those is nice, especially if there's one of the ones that you can use. I am getting my cappy ready to go do the Northern Strongholds content next. So Bragg has finished it, so might as well finish quests on another tune, see if he can get some Lotro points out of uh, repping through the zone. And I'll keep my mini in Mordor while she's uh, grinding away at those. My lore master is sitting at the Tasborg rep in Udun, almost to the final tier of rep for Plateau of Gorgoroth, just by handing in um, handing in task items on a regular basis. My Berg, who is 115, completed Nairband and did one full run through Nargroth with one more to go. 
Um, I have to say it's mostly a cakewalk for the Berg. Uh, you know, they can walk through a lot of areas that you would have to fight all the way through to get to the end. But they do have some heat-radiating mobs that make it tougher. So anytime you're within a couple feet of one of those uh, fiery spirits, he pops you out of stealth. Um, so in that case, you can run past them uh, and hips when you need to, obviously. So that's another technique that can be used. My hunter has been mostly idling my Bjorning I logged in today for the first time in a while and pulled him out of winter home sent him on his merry way uh, with a few gear upgrades that I'd sent down from above to him uh, my champ is still at level 68 and getting ready for the rift skirmish RK is 57 and just hobby horsing around uh, have not played my warden or my high elf who's sitting at level 17 and I think that's quite enough of what I've been doing in-game. Let's move on to the next beacon of Aralas. Here he is, Aralas. Let's discuss some of the pros and cons of the Dwarven Secret Stone event that came out recently. Um, so I'd have to say that the obscurity of the challenge made this kind of a niche event. Um, unless you were just willing to read the instructions on the forehand, on the forum once they came out before you attempted it. Uh, I thought the story was okay. It didn't make a heck of a lot of sense. But um, the mechanics had some pros and cons. First of all, uh, so I think most of you guys knew this. There was a the SSG promised a secret event that would come out on the 21st. And at that time, uh, Quest appeared, I believe, on top of Thorn and Erebor's head. And uh, basically, if you found a tomb that was hiding somewhere in his hall, um, you would activate it, and it would activate a quest, which would start to send you on clues looking for something called the Secret Stone. So, it's first of all, it's a positive that it encouraged uh, community involvement. They made it clear up front that they, you were going to need a lot of people to do this because you had to hunt all over the game for these scraps of text that were clues and with no hint as to where they could be anywhere in the game. And I, Just in the course of questing, I came across like five of them, but I never found all of them. I, I didn't hunt them down later and look because you actually don't need all the scraps of text to solve um, to solve the puzzle. Um, I mean, you do the, the first person that did it did, <laughs> but you don't need them. Uh, if you're going to follow in the footsteps of those people, uh, you can skip ahead. Uh, I liked that they used uh, poetry writing uh, very much in the Tolkien vein, and the poetry was decent um, as part of the clues. They used a, something called a keyword cipher. Um, that uh, you know, put the dwarven writing into code. So not only did you have to decipher the the dwarven writing on the clues, uh, you know, by looking up, unless you speak dwarvish, of course, but by looking them up online and figuring out what they say. But then you had to um, use the scraps of text to put them in a certain order, using something called a keyword cipher. And the community ended up actually breaking the code using a website called QuipQuip that just brute forced a solution using algorithms as opposed to using all the clues. So once again, the devs lose. Automation wins and devs lose. Um, so what they did is, uh, if you looked at all the clues in the right order, the first letter spelled out one of the areas that you had to search. 
Um, but basically this whole part was optional. Like I said, I only collected like five of the pieces of paper, but I was able to proceed with the quest without it. Um, the locations of the clues really did not make much sense. For example, one was sitting on a pedestal outside of Kellett's arm. So this is a piece of paper, one that you can only see by night, and it was sitting in an open field, like, you know, yards from a bunch of orcs, uh, a couple feet from a lake, and one one whip of wind comes through there, and it's, <laughs> that thing is gone. And it's, you know, whoever is hiding the location of the secret stone, you know, puts stuff in weird locations just to make it more fun, I guess, for us. Who knows? Uh, lying around outside the Bat Cave in Moria, uh, you know, buried in Scumfill. These were real clues and they actually wanted someone to solve this. I'm not sure they would have done it in this way. That being said, visiting some of the classic locations of the game is always good. Um, I got some use out of my port to Derndingle for once, for example. <laughs> the story was okay and it was potentially linked to some current events going on um, that paralleled uh, things going on with the Northern Stronghold storylines. And the rewards were okay. Yes, I have approximately... Uh, actually definitively 138 horses goats elks whatever to ride around but this one does look nice with my current outfit for Erebor so I'll give him credit for that um, and the next thing it says I'm clearly not the target audience for this kind of activity anymore I'm not in a kin that would search every last hector of the northern strongholds and decode dwarvish or elvish ruins before applying a keyword cipher so there are some really smart and nerdy smarty pants that play this game. What a surprise that we're able to figure this out with the day it was launched. Um, but, you know, it was a really exciting day for some people based on the forum threads that were out there as people raced to find clues and posted what they found and they were interacting saying, hey, I found this and hey, this is here and where can I find this? And there was definitely some a lot of collaboration going on for people that were that into it. Unfortunately, uh, I had to work, so couldn't do that kind of stuff so like i said it's a bit of a niche audience that they're catering to with this kind of uh, activity uh the devs enjoyed following the community progress and discussing their intent on the forum threads themselves and if in the end i can follow their trail using an excellent guide such as the one published on the department of strategery then it can still be an entertaining diversion and change of pace for me as well which is what it ended up being at the end of the day so positive kudos for uh, SSG for doing something fun like this uh, at a time when you know they don't have all the staff in the world to do a lot of development. Uh, this kind of thing certainly energizes the community, in my opinion. With that, let's move on to our next beacon. <sighs> Dang, these beacons are all wet. Grandma, I'm gonna kill him. All right, I don't know if I actually, you know, I'll get some oil, but. Just trust me, we're at the fifth beacon of Minrimon. The original weekly sponsor segment. This week's show is brought to you by the following advertisement. Hello friends, this is Dis, Dwarven Princess of Legend. You may remember how my brother Thorn and sons Feely and Keely reclaimed our homeland and saved all of our bacon during the quest for Erebor before their untimely demise. Their sacrifices still resonate today in the freedoms we all enjoy in the strongholds of the North. For example, the freedom to let your freak flag fly. If you are a dwarf whose preferred pronouns are a little ambiguous, then come on down to Dis and Dat's Cross-Dressing Emporium. Conveniently located in the Raven Hill Strip Mall, Dis and Dat's has the finest in alternative fashion from every for every form and function. Listen, Layla's and Bria's like shopping at the Gap. Boring. 
Dissendats is where it's at for the general neutral dwarf in all of us. So don't go bare-chested when you could be paisley double-breasted. Come on down to Dissendats Cross-Dressing Emporium. All fella goth styles for goth fellas on sale during the anniversary celebration. So don't be drabulous. Be fabulous at Dissendats. All right, we're at Callanhead, but ugh, this beacon is wet from last week, too. I can't get these things lit. Ugh, grima. All right, this might have to be an empty beacon. We can skip ahead, but I was going to skip ahead. But a story came up today that I have to comment on because I know nothing about it. Actually, I know a little bit about it, but if you want the full story, you really should go over to Massively and read the posting by SIP. Uh, apparently they've done some nice detective work and figured out some details of the story. So this is this is going to be a, a wicked web of deceit and villainy as we as we uncover more about what's going on with this story. But it involves Russians and political maneuverings and sub shell companies and uh, obfuscation of certain facts and taxes evasion, freezing of assets. And it might just somehow at the end of the day impact this game that we love and play. So it is worth keeping an eye on to see if that's a possibility. All right, I'll put some, some real terms on this. So I don't remember the name of the company. Russian conglomerate called like Ravura or whatever owns another company called Columbus Nova or something or others that purchased Daybreak Publishing um, years ago, right? Uh, ownership clearly documented in tax forms and you know announced by daybreak themselves apparently <laughs> okay so you know on on several internet portions so um this russian conglomerate got their assets frozen by the u.s government based on the fact that they believe they related to people that may have been meddling with you know hacking our internet or meddling with the election or doing whatever right so uh assets are being frozen by these companies and uh, that include that could potentially include, from a legal perspective, maybe, I don't know, I'm not an international asset freezing expert, okay? I froze my ass off, assets off in Forakel last week, but this is different. Uh, I'm just a dwarf, okay? Give me a break. But what's happening is <laughs> assets are being frozen, which could include, potentially, Daybreak Publishing's assets, which would include the ability to, I don't know, pay your staff if you're SSG to continue development, right? So uh, that's why people are worried about it. That's the end game. Does this really legally touch SSG at the end of the day to the point where it can impact our games? Um, it certainly looks like it could be trouble for Daybreak because they went out apparently, allegedly, and started updating their wiki page immediately to remove references to the corporate shell corporations that own them. And to remove previous references to announcements regarding uh, the purchase of this of the uh, of the company by these uh, you know Russian conglomerates and so forth, um, so they're basically trying to rewrite history and cover their tracks allegedly. See why I keep saying allegedly? I don't want to get sued. There's some strange thing going on with this, and people could get serious about it. So I'm just I'm just a little podcast. Please don't come after me. Uh, so anyway, the fact that Daybreak allegedly appears to be, uh, you know, trying to modify the history of what's going on here and claiming that they're actually not owned by these, uh, you know, other companies that are getting their assets frozen uh, makes it uh, rather uh, 
rather fascinating from uh, from a uh, from a legal perspective and uh, <laughs> and just uh, you know from a um, someone who's avoid, uh, enjoying the Schadenfreude of it all uh, is another way I'll put it. Um, so this story is not at the end. As a matter of fact, it just broke in the last in today or maybe uh, late yesterday, and um, one of the chief publishing officers at daybreak apparently in her twitter uh said that she had uh resigned and was moving on to new opportunities today so there's some interesting stuff going on like i said uh the thread the comment thread massively op has a lot of people weighing in with research they've done and finding old documents on the internet uh you know that, that have been since allegedly been modified by daybreak to change the story so keep an eye on this one this one could be interesting uh, in the Court of the Rings stream today, um, someone came forward and said they couldn't, from SSG, and said they couldn't really comment on the story, but as far as they know, it's not going to impact them, right? So, of course, that's what you'd say, right? So, again, watch this space, or at least watch Massively OP, and, uh, you know, keep an eye on this story. Uh, hopefully, it won't impact this game that we all love. Bring me Flint and Tinder! I got one lit. Grime, I get the marshmallows, chocolate, and graham crackers. We're making s'mores, buddy. Uh, we are at the seventh beacon of Halitheria, and it's closing time. Sorry, we ran out of time to end early. Hopefully next time, it is time for Blessed Relief. I'm officially putting a little hot pink colored bow on the 81st episode of LTB. I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all your constructive critique. This week, give me feedback, please. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's Brag with two A's. The second A stands for the Dwarven Ladies Auxiliary. On Facebook or Twitter, Bragson of Balan, or my website at likethebeacons.com, where you can post comments directly on the podcast. I kindly request that you take the time to create an iTunes review. Fielder J. Duddy would certainly appreciate it if you did. And if your comments incite me to forego my legendary dwarven apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle-earth while it lasts. Look out for Russian conspiracies. This is Bragg, the son of Balin, signing off. Baruch Kazad. And remember, the next time your masculine tune can't quite understand this weird magnetic attraction he has for a young Rahiram dude named Dernhelm, don't despair. Light the beacons. So if you want to get off, get out of Felagoth. I'm on the right track, baby. Erebor's this way. Uh, decided not to pursue that song parody further, but there's a snippet for you. Oh! And I forgot about uh, Mame Burning Kill. What are they called again? Here's your snippet. See you, folks.